0: And um, I'm so excited today to begin our new study in the book of Jude, our new sermon series. It's called "Contending for the Faith," uh, a study of the book of Jude. And uh, I will tell you, this is a uh, Pastor Devin and I have been both studying this book because she's going to be preaching uh, in a couple of weeks, and uh, it's uh, it's it, it's been a lot of study. It's this book. This book is a uh, different and and uh, uh, most Christians aren't that familiar with it. It's the it's the next to the last book in the Bible right before Revelation. First, second, third, John, Jude, Revelation. And it's just uh, 25 verses long. And most people have not paid a whole lot of attention to it because a lot of it is, is hard to understand. And, and, and I'm telling you, this is not going to be a light, fluffy sermon series. Okay? This is not going to be... Milk. This is going to be huge chunks of steaming meat. I mean, that are that are going to be given to you, and uh, uh, you're going to have to chew on it a while. And uh, and um, and so it, this first one not so much, but as we get into some of these next ones, it will. And I just want to, I want to encourage you also that maybe help you with this as long as. Uh, uh, along with reading Jude, I've asked you to read that. And A lot of people have come up to me and said they read through it this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, I'm going to uh, say to our small group leaders for Wednesday night, Growing with Grace. By the way, I want to encourage you to come. That it would help you because it's going to help you understand this more because you can discuss this. And um, I'm going to just encourage our grace group leaders, our small group leaders for Wednesday night to really focus on people getting this um, and, and focus on the primary scriptures. Like, I, I think I've got something like 30 something scripture verses in this today. Uh, and so, um, I, you're going to need to go through these notes beforehand. And uh, by the way, our notes are online. The notes we use are online. Uh, if you go to our website and, and go to the sermons and, uh, right under the, the, the video of it, you'll see sermon notes and they're all, they're all there. And, um, but Leaders, I want to really encourage you to hit the meat of this and make sure people are understanding it. Um, because this, this, uh, this epistle of Jude, and by the way, epistle means uh, letter. Most New Testament books were actually letters that were written by one of the apostles or someone God called to write. Uh, and they were written to us mostly to a specific person or a specific church or, or area but there are seven epistles, seven letters that are called general epistles because they are written to a more general audience. And those epistles are James and Jude, first and second Peter, first, second and third John. Those seven are considered to be general epistles. But the epistle, the letter that Jude wrote is very, very relevant to our times. Today's times reveal a world that's in chaos and confusion. And Christians are being bombarded with challenges to their faith every day, online and in person, on media, on TV, whatever. The the challenges to the Christian faith are happening continually. And as more and more people are becoming anti-Christ... Remember, we've taught on that before out of 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John, one of those Johns uh, about the Antichrist spirit that is in the world already. There will be an Antichrist one day, but there is an Antichrist spirit that is in the world. And as that increases, the world becomes uh, ever increasingly more anti-Christian. Intolerant of Christians. And from a, a believer's, from a believer's perspective, it, it may seem like the world has, has never been further from God, but almost 2,000 years ago, early Christian believers faced very similar threats to their faith, and they had to grapple with, with contradictory teachings over Christian doctrine. They had to struggle to live out their faith in a manner consistent with that doctrine in a world that, that was very anti-Christian. And into that world enters Jude, an itinerant preacher, pastor, traveling around preaching, teaching in several churches of the first century. And one day he sat down, he felt led to write a letter and he wanted to write it just to encourage people and speak of our our common faith. And just encourage them in the faith. But as he began to write that letter, something happened. The Holy Spirit changed what he wrote. That's how the Holy Spirit inspired people to write this word. It, it wasn't necessarily a, people think they're in a trance with automatic writing and the Holy Spirit was just writing through them. But he was inspiring them. Theonustos, God breathed. And he led them. He moved upon them to write. And so he moved upon Jude. Hey, I don't want you to write on that. Here's what I want you to write on. Here's what I want you to say. Because see, Jude was startled by the news that these churches had been uh, besieged by false teachers who were leading them away from the truth. The truth of God's grace. And they were enticing them to live in a manner inconsistent with God's truth and God's commands. So the Holy Spirit changed the topic of his letter. And in this letter, Jude Jude encourages us and urges us to contend for the faith. Contend for the faith by fighting against false teachings. Contend for the faith by opposing those who are trying to deceive us. And he gives us a specific strategy on how to deal with, with false teachers and false teachings. So in our time, there, there is no more relevant message than the message of, of Jude. I'm not going to stand up here the next few weeks and just tell you how great you are and all those kind of things. I'm going to stand up here and tell you that, that we're in a times where you need to have a strong faith. We're in a time where you need to have a tough faith. We're in a time where you need discernment. We're in a time where you need to know the Word of God and be so grounded in the truth of God's Word that you recognize deception or discernment uh, 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 or, or deception uh, with discernment. you got to have that. As believers, we must contend for the faith. So it's essential It's essential for us to first understand the faith. It's essential for us to know what we stand for. It's essential for us to know what we stand against. It's essential for us to know how to respond to those who attack basic doctrine and Christian truths and the truth of living the Christian faith, who even attack the Word of God and the Bible. That's what Jude is teaching us. So who exactly is Jude? Well, we'll see how he introduces himself in the first verse of Jude. And we're going to go through this book verse by verse. And in verse 1, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Jude describes himself as a servant of Jesus and a brother of James. James was an apostle and a leader of the church in Jerusalem. You can read in Acts 15 about how he was involved in a controversy where they had to contend for the faith, and James was the one who kind of came up with the resolution for that, that issue. And since Jude was a brother of James, that means that Jude must have been also a brother of Jesus since James is described as, as the brother of Jesus. They would actually be half-brothers. Had the same mom, different dads. For James and Jude, it would have been Joseph. For Jesus, it would have been the Lord God Almighty, God the Father. And by the way, the the name Jude is just another form of the name Judas. There's about six people in the New Testament called Judas. The most famous being the infamous Judas Iscariot. There was another time one of the other Judases was mentioned in the Bible, and I love how it says it, and then Judas, not Iscariot. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that be how you introduce yourself if you've, yeah, I'm an apostle of Jesus, I- I'm Judas, not Iscariot. I'm the other Judas. So there was a common name, and Jude was a, a form of that, a- and... So we, we see he was a brother of Jesus in Mark 6, 1 through 3, where it says Jesus came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom given to him? And how are these miracles performed by his hands? Now listen, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the guy who came over and fixed my dining room table? made me a new front door, put up my fence. Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, that's Jude, and Simon, and aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. So Jesus had brothers, sisters. Here's the thing. None of his siblings believed he was the Messiah. John 7 5 says, even his own brothers did not believe in him. Interesting. There's a lot of false gospels that give stories about Jesus doing miracles as a child and, and, and raising a dead bird and doing all these other things as a child, but there's, there's no biblical evidence of that. And I'd say it didn't happen because his own family did not see something in him. They did not see that, enough to think that he was God. In fact, Mark, 30 through 20, Mark 3, 20-21 through 21 says, One time Jesus entered a house. The crowds began to gather in. Soon he and his disciples couldn't find a time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. They thought he was crazy. They said, you need to get back to carpentry. I don't know where the, all these things, thoughts are coming into your mind about who you think you are. So contrary to false gospels and other things, Jesus had done nothing up until that time to make people think he was the son of God. He had done no miracles, so his own family did not believe in him. Yet something changed. Something changed. I mean, you think about it. If one one of your siblings had said to you, I just want you to know I'm I'm actually the son of God. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't think so. What could they do to prove it to you? How about rise from the dead? Because that's what Jesus did. Because the resurrected changes everything. Jude, James, the brothers of Christ did not believe him. But Acts 1 tells us about Jesus appearing to his disciples after the resurrection. Acts 1, 12 through 14 says, those present were, this is when Jesus came to them, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and and Judas, son of James. Not Iscariot. (laughs) They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This is one of the most powerful proofs of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His brothers went from skeptics to believers. Everything changed, and they they had a momentous paradigm shift. They They did not believe in Jesus. They did not believe he was the Messiah. They did not believe he was the Son of God. This included Jude, but something changed when they saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. It changed their life. And Jude and James, and they went from being a skeptic to believers to, to being among those in the 120 who were there praying on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. They were part of that. Jude was changed from a skeptic to a believer by the resurrection. And that resurrection power is still changing lives today. That metamorphosis that that April was talking about is still happening today because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Notice how Jude introduces himself, not as the brother of Jesus, but as the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, James did the same thing. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. They did not get up there and say, hey, we're the brothers of Jesus, so listen to us. They introduced themselves as a servant, doulos, someone who who voluntarily submits to the will of another. Jude had gone from a skeptic of Jesus Christ to a slave, a servant of Jesus Christ. So Jude wrote this letter, but who did he write to and why did he write it? Well, we see who he wrote to in the rest of verse 1. It says, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ. I love those songs. I love that so much. Jude is writing this general epistle. He it, wrote it generally to churches in that day, but it applies to us today, to, who? to everyone who has been called, loved, and kept by God. That means it was written to you. Let's look at these awesome truths here about our identity in Christ, because in order to contend with the, faith, in the for your faith, you've got to know about the faith, and you've got to know your identity in Christ. You see, firstly, believers are called by God. And the word call, I love this, means invited. Invited. You're invited. A calling is an invitation from God to accomplish this purpose. He calls you to salvation. He doesn't force you to be saved. He calls you. He invites you. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Invite me in. I want to be part of your life. He invites you into a calling. He invites you into all these things. And and I want to give you some Bible verses about calling because we usually don't normally think of it in terms of being called to a ministry, like in Acts 13, 2, where it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. He invited them into this ministry. Romans 1, 1 through 7, Paul said this, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. This was his calling, but look what he goes on to say in verses five and six, where he amplifies on this. He says, through him, through Jesus and for his namesake, we received grace and apostleship. He received a calling to call people. His calling was to call people. God invited him to invite people. My calling is to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Notice what is a result of faith. Obedience. We'll talk more about that. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You have been called. You have been invited by the Lord Jesus Christ to belong to him. And so we see what Paul's calling was. It was to call others to Jesus Christ. In other verses, the the Bible says that believers are called to be saints. says we are called to be holy. It says we are called to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in Romans eight. It says we are called to fellowship with Jesus. God invites us to all these things. First Peter two, nine and 10 says we are called by God to declare his praise. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Aren't you glad that God called you out of darkness into light? Aren't you glad he invited you out of who you were into who you are now in him? Aren't you glad that he chose you and now you're a royal priest? You're a holy nation. You belong to God and now you are called to declare his praises. Amen. You are called to praise, called to worship, called to worship, called to rejoice. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, God has saved us and called us to a holy life. Amen. A lot of people forget that part. Well, yeah, the Lord saved me, but I'm going to live like, I'm wanna, I'm gonna, like I want to live. That's what Jude is going to, we see Jude addresses. He called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done. It's not because of you, because of his own purpose and grace. First Timothy six twelve. fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We are called by God to be saved. We are called by God to eternal life. We are called by God to fight the good fight of faith and contend for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints. Everything we do for God is by invitation or calling. Do you know that no one would even be saved if God did not call them or invite them first? See, God's the one who initiates. He draws us. Jesus said it in John six forty four. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. God's part is to call us. God's part is to draw us. God's part is to invite us. Our part is to respond to the call of God. Respond to the invitation of God. Respond to the will of God. Believers are called by God. Secondly, they're kept by God. Kept by Jesus. The word kept means to to guard. To take care of. It's actually like a guard guarding people in prison and taking care of them it's kind of a similar word and in the letter about false teachers and apostasy which is people falling away from the faith he wants to assure them that it is God who keeps them in fact he opens and closes his letter talking about God's keeping power now listen that doesn't create a, a, a deterministic or a fatalistic view. Yes, Jude 1.1 1, 1 says we're kept by God, but we'll learn later in Jude 21, verse 21, it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. So which is it? Do we keep us or does God keep us? The answer is both. Just as we must respond to God's call to salvation, we've also got to respond to God's keeping power. Thinking that it's all God would be like thinking, since God is the giver of life, then I don't even need to breathe. God's going to give me life. God's going to take care of it all. God's going to do everything. No, you stop breathing, you die. Breathing is the means which God uses to sustain your life. Likewise, God's keeping power is available to us, but we must keep ourselves in the love of God. But we don't even have the ability to keep ourselves apart from Him. Our keeping, our keeping is totally dependent upon His keeping. That's best seen in Philippians 2, 12 through 13 that says this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will... And to act according to his good purpose. He doesn't say continue to work for your salvation. You can't do enough works to earn salvation. For by grace are you saved. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. It's not about works. Salvation is not about works. But when God saves us by grace through faith. He works something in us. We'll use the caterpillar analogy that, that came out in the service today. We were these caterpillars. God transforms us in, in, into a new creation in Christ, right? We're, we're In that context, we're, we're butterflies. But we've got to work that out. What God worked in, we've got to work that out into our lives. We, continue, we can continue to crawl around in the mud with caterpillars. Or we can learn to fly. Like a butterfly. It reminds me of a of a story that we used to tell in sermons. This just came to me. It was the one on uh, turkeys and eagles. Y'all heard that one? It's about this eagle egg that somehow got dropped out of its nest and rolled down the hill and ended up in a in a family of turkeys <laughs> down on the flat ground. And that eagle was little eaglet was born and was in. This turkey family accepted it as one of their own. And so it grew up as a turkey. Pecking around on the ground for food. And it grew and grew and grew. And there was always something in him. This don't seem right. he would see these other eagles soaring in the sky and something in his heart would say, Man, I want to do that. But I'm a turkey. I can't do that. I wish I was an eagle. And one day he was walking through the woods and looking for food and a wise old he saw a wise old owl and the, the, the wise old owl said, "Why are you walking around with all those other turkeys?" And he said, Because I am a turkey. And the wise old owl said, you are not a turkey. You are an eagle. You were created to soar above all of this. And and when when the turkey slash eagle finally believed the wise old owl, he started taking some Weak attempts, but finally took a running start, started flapping his wings, took off and soared. And never came back down to live a turkey life again. I'm inc- calling you, inviting you out of turkeyhood this morning. <laughs> into eagle ship. Out of the life of a caterpillar to the life of a butterfly. God has done a, if you are born again, God has done a transforming work in your life. You are a new creation in Christ. You're no longer that turkey you used to be. Who you used to be is dead. You are a new creation in Christ. But you've got to put off the old man. You gotta put off the turkey nest. You gotta put off the caterpillar life. You gotta put all those things off. They want to stick with you, and the enemy wants you to stick with it. And say, well, No, you're not that, you are this. He wants to define you by who you were, not by who you are in Christ. And some of y'all are constantly fighting against who you used to be and the things you used to do, and and, 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 and the and the enemy uses that against you all the time. and you Need to stand up today and say, I'm not a turkey anymore. I'm not who I was. I am a new creation in Christ. Begin to believe it. Dare to believe it. And dare to live it out. We don't work for our salvation, but we work it out into our lives. What God works in us, we've got to believe and see that it's worked out into our lives. But it's His power. That gives us the power to work it out. It's his him who works in you to, to will and to do according to his good pleasure. I, I always tell people who are always concerned about their, their salvation, like like like, um, like Pastor Joe. I'm, I'm not sure. i I think I've committed the unpardonable sin or something. And, but I I I said, Well, do you want do you want to live for God? Do you want to do what's right? Oh, oh yeah, I want to, but I think I can't because of what I've done. No. No, 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 no. A thousand times no. If you had committed the unpardonable sin and you were a reprobate given up by God, I guess I'm going to have to preach through Romans 1 here to teach you this someday. You wouldn't even care about the will of God. It wouldn't cross your mind about doing the will of God. You would not be being drawn to God anymore. You would be doing your own thing and happy about it. But when you, when, when you are... are, are belong to Jesus Christ. It's God who works in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. If you've got the will, even if you're not doing it yet, if you've got the will to be right with God, if you've got the will to do God's truth and live God's way, that is evidence of the Spirit of God living, moving, breathing, and working in your life. In the name of Jesus, give God some praise for that. So God calls us. God keeps us. Why does he do that? Jude tells us it's because God loves us. We are called by God. We are kept by God. We are loved by God. Love is the motivation for everything God does. For God so loved the world that he gave his Son. For God so loves you, He called you. For God so loves you, He keeps you. Because God loved us, He sent His Son to die on a cross to save us. Because He loves us, He calls us, invites us to Himself. Because He loves us, He keeps us for Himself. God loves us, not because we're so lovable. <laughs> not because we're so amazing. He loves us because God is love. It's not just something He does. It's not just one of His characteristics. It's His nature. It's His essential character. God is love. God's love is free and uncaused. You didn't cause God to love you. And you can't cause God to not love you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you. There's nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. God is not obligated to love us, but it is His nature to love us. And to be loved by God is to experience His grace and His favor and His blessing and His care and His protection. So why did Jude write this letter to those who were called, loved, and kept by God? One reason is to pronounce a blessing on us. Do you like blessings? I do. Every New Testament book pretty much opens up with a blessing. And here's how Jude blesses us. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. That'd be a good good prayer to pray. God, I'm praying Jude 1 over me and my family. Abundant grace. Abundant mercy. Abundant peace. Abundant love. By the way, grace grace is... God giving us something we don't deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. Thank God for that. And once we experience the grace and mercy of God and, and the love of God was already talked about, th- then we, that, that results in peace. People are trying to get peace all these different ways. But peace comes when we are right with God, when we're justified by Christ, we find the peace of God. And He gives us a peace that passes understanding. He gives, gives us a peace not as the world gives. He gives us His peace. And, and, and the peace and the Hebrew is the word shalom, and it has a real a breadth of meaning. And it's not just peace, brother, but I mean, it, it, it's wholeness. It's spiritual wholeness and emotional, physical, spiritual. God blessing you, spirit, soul, and body. So Jude is asking God to multiply to us his, God's love, God's mercy, God's peace. He's asking God to be lavish. God is not stingy with his love. God is not stingy with His mercy. God is not stingy with His grace. God is not stingy with His blessing. God is a God of abundance. He wants to give to you abundantly. He wants to bless you abundantly. And we need God's abundant mercy and grace and peace and love if we are going to contend for the faith. We have got to be solid in our in our understanding of God's love and God's grace. And we've got to have God's peace in the midst of the storm that we are in. Jude, not only did he write to bless his readers, but he wrote to warn them. Most of the rest of this letter is a warning. And Jude fiercely condemns certain people that he sees as a threat to the early Christian community. Here's verse 3 of Jude. By the way, there's only one chapter, so I'm not saying Jude 1-3. It's just Jude 3. (laughs) Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, remember I told you that he started out to write one thing. I felt I had to write. It was necessary for me to write something different. And urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. He originally wanted to write about the salvation we share, but fell felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to urge them to contend for the faith, to fight for the faith, once for all delivered and entrusted to the saints. This faith Judah is talking about is not your individual belief and faith in Jesus Christ. He's speaking of something greater than that. He's talking about the essential truths of the gospel that, that all true Christians hold in in common. It's uh, uh, the body of essential Christian doctrine that was handed down from Jesus. And Jesus told His disciples, teach others c- c- to obey all these things I've commanded you. And the apostles passed them down to the early church believers who passed them down to the next generation, who passed them down to the next generation. And every generation thereafter to where here today, we're passing them on to you and you're passing them on to others in this living chain of believers that connects us all the way back to Jesus. Every generation has received this truth and every generation has had to contend for it. Now it's our turn. Listen to me. Passivity is not going to cut it. Doing nothing is not going to cut it. Never being willing to stand up to contend for your faith is not going to cut it. I know we're in a supposedly tolerant culture where we tolerate everything and every belief, and, and I understand that, but it's getting increasingly intolerant towards Christians. It's happening around the world, it's happening. And we have got to be ready. Why? Because the enemy is a deceiver. When you look at the signs of the last time, when Jesus gave in, in Matthew, I believe it's in Matthew 24, he said more than once, I think three times, deception, deception, deception is going to be a sign of the times. And if there ever is a sign of the times that we're living in, it is people are easily deceived. And Satan uses false teachers to try to lead his people into heresy, believing wrong doctrine. There's many New Testament warnings about false teachers who taught heresy, false doctrine. 2 Peter 3, 4 says, You must understand that in the last days, listen, scoffers will come. we got a world full of scoffers right now. Scoffing and following their own evil desires following their own evil desires and scoffing at those who want to live righteously. And the Bible predicts there will be a great apostasy or falling away from the faith in the end times. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 10 through 13. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, the love of most, the love of most will grow cold. He's talking to believers. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. He who endures to the end will be saved. Paul said in 2nd, 2nd, Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until, unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness has revealed the son of destruction. The New King James says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, talking about the coming, of the second coming of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away ha- comes first. Wow. There is a great apostasy and falling away and we are seeing it happening all around us all today. So it's popular today for so many former Christians or people who call themselves Christians now deconstructing their faith. That's what they call it. I'm deconstructing my faith. Well, you might as well call it deconstructing your life. Because when you turn from faith in God, when you turn from faith in Jesus Christ, you turn from the only hope you have in this life and the only hope you have for the life to come. So Jude warns us, you better contend for this faith rather than destroy your faith. And listen, the first place you need to contend for the faith is your own faith. Because you have an enemy who wants to steal Steal it from you. But Jews said, Contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Notice this faith was delivered once for all. That means once for all time. There's no new faith. There is no new faith. Somebody might come up with the the religion of Job, but don't believe them. There is no new faith. He delivered it once for all. That's for all time. And it's for all people. There, are, there, there is not, there are not different ways of salvation. Well, you know, it's popular this, these days. Well, that's your truth, but this is my truth. Well, if you say one plus one equals two, that's your truth. But to me, one plus one equals three. That's my truth. Well, sorry, but they both can't be simultaneously true. One of them is right and one of them is wrong. And you've got to come to the place where you realize that that your faith in Jesus Christ is right and you've got to stand on it. Not contentiously. He's not saying be contentious in the way you deal with people. But you've got to stand for the truth. And there's not a zillion ways to God. There's one way and that's through Jesus and his finished work on the cross. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, Paul tells us what the faith is. Brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. He's reminding them, this is the faith delivered to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Listen, you've received it, but you're going to have to take a stand on it someday. It's coming. It's coming. Some people won't be able to do it, but those who endure to the end will be saved. By this gospel, this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise... You believed in vain. If you don't hang on to it, if you don't contend for your faith, you believed in vain. Here's what we received. For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel. This is the truth. This is the faith once delivered to the saints. Christ died for our sins. He was buried but he rose again. Those facts, they are facts that will never change but some people are trying to change them through their false teaching and their deception. Jude says in verse 4, certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. The enemy doesn't come in and say, or a person doesn't come in and say, hey, I'm a a deceiver, I'm here to deceive you. I'm a false prophet, I'm here to lead you all astray. Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Trying to deceive the very elect if that were possible. Certain men uh, slipped in. They are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality. I'm going to be preaching on this. This is, uh, you want to name the current popular gospel in the United States of America. It's turning the grace of God into I can be saved and do anything I want. And then that deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Listen, Christianity had barely been established in the first century when it was bombarded by heresies. A heresy is a belief that's not in line with established Bible doctrine. And that happened way back in, in, in the beginning of the church. And I got notes on that, and I'm not going to talk about it today because I'm running out of time, so I'm going to save it till next week about the errors regarding the law. But I just want to end with this. Jude addressed the false teaching that I just read you about, that grace gives us license to sin and the heresy that Jesus Christ is not our sovereign Lord. Now listen to me. We'll talk more about that in future sermons. But these two things always go together. Show me someone who believes grace gives me license to sin and I'll show you somebody not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You cannot be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and continue in willful and rebellious sin. I'm not saying you're perfect and you never mess up, but you have a repentant heart. When God, can, when the Holy Spirit convicts you, you get right with God. You want to be right with God. You not, you're not just saying, hey, I'm going to live in this sin. I, I don't even think it's sin. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm doing it. But God, it, it, it's, it's, God wants us to know the truth and to deal ruthlessly with heresy. Yeah. Yeah. And I've closed by reminding you, You are called by God, loved by God, and kept by God. God loved you so much, He called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So you've got to contend for your faith by letting your light shine into that darkness. God loves us so much He called us out of the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of His dear Son. So we must contend and do warfare with kingdom faith. God loves us so much He sent His Son to contend with and defeat Satan, sin, hell, and the grave. We've got to love Him that we contend with every and defeat every lie, every demonic deception, every false teaching, every heresy. God loves us so much that He called us to faith in Christ. God loved us so much that He keeps us in Christ. So we've got to keep fighting the good fight of faith in the name of Jesus Christ because this is our high calling. God loves me. God called me. God keeps me. And I'm going to contend for the faith that Jesus Christ is the only way. Jesus Christ came to earth and died for our sins. He was buried and He rose again. And I'm going to believe the truth of the Word of God. I'm going to stand on it. I'm going to contend for it until my last Die in breath in Jesus name amen and I hope a bunch of you join me in that let's all stand God I pray God I pray that you would open our eyes to truth through this series as we preach Lord I pray that we would see truth and live truth understand truth and contend for it in Jesus name Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come down. Are you you sure you're even in the faith? Have you responded to that Jesus invitation to open up the door of your heart and let him come into your life? If not, today's the day of salvation. We saw that Judah was there on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? If not, today is a day to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Whatever need you may have, you may need healing. You may need a miracle. You may need a financial blessing. You may need a job. You may need to pray for someone else. Whatever it is, we want you to come down for prayer. Love you so much. Thanks so much for being here. Make sure you're here Wednesday night. See you next Sunday. We're going to teach starting in verse 5 of Jude.